0: Well hello Lake City family. Yeah it's so good to see you. Bet you you were up here so you didn't have to wear that mask huh? Yeah. You know I've been writing hello Lake City family most weeks on the Lake City Facebook uh, page during the Saturday service because I've been uh, following it for the last five months. And this pandemic it's really changed how we do church isn't it? You know but uh most of our churches in Florida haven't opened up yet. So so uh this is actually the first time I've stepped in a church in 5 months, you know. And and I'm loving it. You know, we're we're reopening down at our local church on uh September 6th. But uh until then, still getting ready for it, getting everything ready to be CDC compliant and everything. But in the meantime, I've been enjoying, you know, these 4 or 5 months of uh watching Lake City. Usually I watch the Saturday night uh, service because Sunday morning is the live stream from our church in Orlando. And uh, so I've been double dipping. It's the best twofer I've gotten for a long time. And uh, now for those of you who are wondering, who's this old guy up here? Huh? Uh, I came to Christ at Lake City in 1967. Yeah, in the student ministry. So Reese, You're inheriting an awesome ministry here, the student ministry at Lake City. And I've been praying for you ever since you came. Uh, In 69, Lake City sent me and uh, five other students to Canada and Alaska as missionary interns. God confirmed my call to be a global worker during my high school senior year, right out there on the stairs going down. Uh, And then in 1970, Lake City helped send me off to Multnomah University, which back then was Multnomah School of the Bible. That's where I met Linda, best thing that happened. And it's also where I prepared for uh, foreign ministry. Lake City has always been a missionary sending church. And uh, by the time I got to Le- Multnomah, I knew a, a lot of missions because there had just been a steady stream of missionaries who would come through Lake City, uh, you know, just like Andy and Nikki Gray were here last, last weekend. I minored in Greek and Hebrew at Multnomah, and in my second Greek class, there was one woman, and, and I said to her, her name was Cindy, I said, Cindy, why are you taking Greek? And she told me that she was preparing to join Wycliffe Bible Translators, and I looked at her and said, what's a Wycliffe? Now, I had never heard of John Wycliffe, the original translator of the English Bible, or of the mission that carried his name. But intrigued me, it intrigued me to learn that there were thousands of languages in the world that had no Bible. Uh, coming from Lake City, you know, just the importance of the Bible had just been hammered into me weekend after weekend after weekend. And, uh, and so that just got me thinking, you know, well, maybe I should consider becoming a Bible translator. But I still didn't really know who these Wycliffe Bible translators were. So I asked the pastor of the church at that time, and some of you may remember, Dave Stewart. And uh, I asked him, have you ever heard of these guys? And, uh, you know, at that time, Dave had been pastoring in uh, Lake City and out in Montana and other places for over 30 years. And uh, he looked at me and he said, you know, I've been waiting all the time that I've been pastoring for someone from my church to join Wycliffe and become a Bible translator. Well, that kind of gave my answer to, you know, where I should go and what I should do with my life. And uh, eventually, uh, after us, others came up from Lake City into the Bible translation ministry as well. Uh, Norm and Patricia Purvis retired from 40 plus years of serving with Wycliffe right, right in uh, the service uh, at Lake City a couple of years ago. Marlene Etter, who serves in Chad with Pioneers, began her mission service with Wycliffe in Cameroon. And then uh, you all know about the Tamajak people that you adopted uh, in partnership with Sim International. Well, almost four years ago, Reg and Sarah Overstreet and I met in Niger to participate in the Tamajak New Testament dedication. And that's a project that was begun and led by Wycliffe translators from uh, the USA and, and France. So Lake City just has this long history with us and us with them. And, and we're just deeply grateful to have such a wonderful church as our foundation and our launching pad. Now, Linda sends her greetings. Uh, she She had originally planned to be here. But then we got this announcement from our youngest daughter, Amy, that... She is going to have a baby on Monday, you know. Uh, She's being induced, so we know it's Monday. That happens to be our son's birthday, so he's approved of this plan. And uh, anyhow, Linda's already in Denver helping out with Mason and Lily, the five and three-year-old tornadoes. And uh, generally supporting Amy in preparation for for monday i 'm going to be joining them on Tuesday after the big event because let 's face it i 'm of very little use before that you know during these months uh, of the pan- pandemic global ministry has really radically changed, for instance, the travel restrictions have moved most of us from seat twenty one d to our living room and uh, Instead of being in person with my colleagues in other parts of the world, we meet on Zoom calls at some really horrendous hours of the day and night to accommodate the time zones. Uh, for instance, I have a weekly Zoom at 6 a.m. on Tuesdays. Now, I'm so grateful I live in the East Coast because that would be 3 a.m. here. You know, and, uh, and that's with people in the US, Benin, West Africa, and Papua New Guinea. Who they're meeting at like 11 o'clock at night so time zones are are, are not our friends on this Thursdays I shift to meeting meeting with people in Kenya and Uganda Friday it's a better time it's 11 o'clock in the morning with people in the US Netherlands Ethiopia and Kenya but my primary focus is actually Sudan which is where we began our ministry more than 40 years ago but uh, Sudan has really, really bad connectivity, (laughs) wretched bandwidth, and also most everything we do with them we have to do by uh, just email. Or from time to time, before the travel restrictions, I would meet people from Sudan in a neighboring country. So the pandemic's had some negative effects on Bible translation progress, slowing projects down. Uh, One of the projects I'm responsible for in Sudan is called Runbu. And uh, they've got the entire New Testament translated. But the book of Hebrews and the book of Revelation is remaining to be consultant checked. Now, a translation consultant is someone that's like a quality uh, control person. And uh, they go through the book verse by verse by verse, checking for faithfulness and accuracy as well as for clarity and uh, naturalness in expression. And the consultant uh, for Rumbu is a Sudanese man named Nabil. Well, in March, when the pandemic broke on Africa and the rest of the world, uh, Nabil was visiting Egypt. Egypt and Sudan closed their airspaces, and Nabil spent more than four months stuck in Egypt, uh, waiting for the first flight out. And and so the book of Revelation is still sitting, waiting to be checked, because he's just gotten back and... uh, So it slowed some things down. But in spite of that, those kind of delays and things like that, God is still in control. In Sudan alone, in the last nine months, three New New Testaments have been completed and printed and dedicated. That's three ethnic groups, three ethne, three people groups who now have access to God's truth and his love letter to them. He's moved into their neighborhood, he's speaking their words, and he's incarnated himself into their culture and lives. My prayer is that the same will be true for the Runbu in the next year. And then we've just started with five other languages in Sudan, so you know, eventually it'll be true for them as well. And then uh, in in addition to that, my my dear friend Mark, who's my counterpart in Sudan, uh, you've you 've seen some pictures of him. Uh, he is within a year of completing the Old Testament in his language. You know this is really your work. you've partnered with us over all these many years, decades you 've prayed you 've given you 've had a part of this. This is your work as well and uh, so. You know, thank you, just thank you for the transformation that's happening around the world as a result of your faithfulness as partners with Linda and I and with Bible Translation. Okay, let's, let's shift gears and get into today's pac- passage, which is 2 Thessalonians two, thirteen through 17. It's all about the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. This is going to break down into three parts, and we're going to go through all of it. The first part will be believe the truth, that's verses 13 and 14, guard the truth, verse 15, and live the truth, verses 16 and 17. But first of all, let's take a look at the background, uh, the context of the setting of this. You know, Paul had suffered for the Thessalonian church. He was run out of Thessalonica and Berea by bad elements at the Thess- Thessalonian uh, Jewish community. So he, he was really deeply grateful for those who believed in Thessalonica and, and followed Jesus and eventually formed the church of the Thessalonians. In essence, they were, they were his spiritual children. Verse 14 says that God called them through Paul's preaching of the gospel. Paul, Silas, and Timothy planted the church in Thessalonica. They visited the church, they went to the synagogue where they engaged the Jews for three Sabbaths in a row. He explained to them and proved to them from the scriptures that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. Paul stated in Acts 17, verse three, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, the Messiah, the results of his preaching were that uh, some of the Jews were persuaded to believe, as well as a number of God-fearing Greeks, which included a significant um, uh, group of prominent women. Now, whenever a person has a direct involvement in leading someone to Christ, you take a special interest in that person for the rest of their life. Lake City's involvement in global missions, especially with groups, people groups like the Tamajak and the Khan group, In Central Asia is actually relevant to the passage we're studying today. You know, you've you've invested your time, your prayers, your resources. Some of you have gone and invested parts of your life. And uh, so when you hear that God is moving among the Tamajak, you give thanks. And that's where we start this passage. Paul states that he always gives thanks for the Thessalonian church. Now, I hope you were either here in the service or online last week when, uh, actually, the last two weeks as Pastor Jim took us through the first 12 verses of uh, chapter 2. If you weren't, I encourage you, go watch it online. It's worth it. Uh, there's a, there was a mass of information that was given during that time on the end times from the church age. To the rapture, from the rapture to the tribulation, uh, from tribulation to the second coming of Christ for His millennial kingdom, and then eternity future. Now, if you were if you were uh, here or watched it, you recall that the Thess- Thessalonians try saying that three times really fast with your mask on. Thessalonians were unsettled and alarmed because someone was circulating a fight false letter, a fake letter saying it was from Paul claiming that they had missed the rapture and they were already in the great tribulation. Paul uses the first half of chapter two to assure them that this was untrue. This was fake news. That the things uh, that were prophesied about the rapture and about the tribulation had not occurred yet. And for that reason, they had great hope that as believers, God would remove them before those things would happen. He ended that section uh, talking about the kind of people who would not be removed, though, but would enter the great tribulation. They were people who refused to love the truth and thus be saved. Instead, they believed a lie they would be condemned for not believing the truth, but instead they delighted in wickedness. Now this is just a huge, massive contrast to how Paul now describes the Thessalonian believers and really is describing us as well. So verses uh, 13 and 14 read, "'But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by God because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through the truth he called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ the people who made up the church believed the truth and that's what we're called to do is believe the truth and if you believe the truth, there's five things that are true about you, and we're going to go through those five things uh, briefly through each one. The first one is, you are loved by God. We are loved by God. Now, that's pretty much true of all humanity, though. Uh, according to YouVersion, the scripture app that many of you may have on your phones, uh, the most popular, popularly downloaded verse in the whole of the Bible is guess. John three 16. you're right. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's been downloaded hundreds of millions of times. That's, that's like a lot, you know. And, uh, and God is the very essence of love. You know, you cannot escape God's love, but you can reject it. Now, as children of God, we believe and we know that we are loved by God. The second thing is that we, we are chosen to be saved from the beginning by God. So God loves everyone, but we also know that not everyone responds to that love positively. From the beginning in eternity past, God has chosen those who will respond to his love that's referring that's referred to as the doctrine of election God chose us even before we were you know eternity past from the beginning we were chosen that's a really a mysterious thing because somehow God managed also to interweave into our lives our personal responsibility to believe and accept Jesus He also expects us to do our part in sharing Jesus with our family, our friends, and others. Uh, The doctrine of election isn't a get-out-of-jail-free card for not sharing the gospel with others. In fact, it's the basis of global missions. God has chosen his own, but he expects us to be his instruments in letting them know so they can respond and believe the truth about him and believe in him. The next one, the third one, is we're set apart by the work of the Spirit and the belief in the truth. The text uses the word sanctifying, which just means to set something apart for something else. The common use of this is is the sanctifying work of the Spirit does in our lives to make us more like Jesus. It's kind of the process we go through in life, becoming more and more like Him. However, in this passage... This is setting us apart to believe in the truth. The Holy Spirit was at work setting apart the Thessalonians for belief in the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, just as he has been and perhaps is even right now at work with someone who's either here in the room or online to believe that God loves them. The fourth one is that they're called through our gospel. Now you hear people like myself talk about calling to the mission field and all, but that's not the call we're talking about here. This is God using human agency to announce his love, God's love, to others so that they can respond with belief. The Thessalonians were called through our gospel. The New Living Translation states it this way, he called you to salvation when we told you the good news. The Thessalonians heard about Jesus through Paul. Think back, who who first told you about Jesus? They were calling you to Jesus. And then the next question is, who are you calling to Jesus? Who are you sharing the good news with? And then the final fifth point is, we share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this, this will eventually really be fulfilled when we are with Christ in eternity. We share in a f- very faint glow of his glory in this life, but when we spend eternity with Christ, we will fully share in all the glory that he radiates. Think about how in the first half of Thessalonians 2, 2 Thessalonians 2, how Paul described those who rejected Christ. You know, their future was pretty dim. Now think about this. Our future as believers is just so starkly different. We will share in the full glory of Christ. That's an amazing thought. So, having believed in the truth, Paul now goes on, to tell the Thessalonians that they must guard the truth. This is verse 15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. We've seen how our own experiences uh, these we've seen by our own experiences these days what happens when the church doesn't guard the truth. Things that God clearly spoke of have become up for debate and many are not guarding the truth. Now, the Bible is not confused about things like gender and marriage and abortion and so forth. Last week, uh, Pastor Jim made a very short but powerful statement. God spoke clearly and he did not stutter. We guard the truth by standing firm in our faith and holding on to the teachings we have received. So in the NIV this one of the part of this verse says so then brothers stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you whether by word of mouth or by letter. So that's the New International Version. The e- the ESV says it a little differently. So then brothers stand firm and hold on to the to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now, I like both translations, and I think both of them help us with some of the nuance of the words, teachings, and traditions. Uh, when we read tradition, traditions, we can easily think about kind of the man made traditions that we follow in the church and so forth and all, but that's not what Paul is talking about. The Thessalonians lived in primarily an oral culture. The traditions Paul refers to is the actual gospel and the doctrinal teachings that he had been giving them and that were passed on them person to person. In oral societies, people have an amazing ability to pass along teachings or a message with uncanny faithfulness to the original. Now, those of us from literary societies We depend upon what is written to get it right. That's why you're writing things down in your notes right now. And uh, we've lost much of that ability to recite and remember accurately what we've heard. There's a, for the last, oh, at least a decade, there's been a move among missions to do what's called Bible storying, where a lot of societies aren't literate yet. A lot of peoples aren't literate yet but they come from oral societies they can hear things and they can retain them and uh for instance and this is happening all over the world but i'm thinking of five groups in india right now who they were all illiterate so people went there and told them the stories of the scriptures creation and so forth and uh And and the stories were faithful to what God was communicating in the scriptures and all. And those people, once hearing it, they could turn around and tell that to others. And they did. And people came to Christ. People got saved. Churches got started. They don't have a Bible yet because they can't read the Bible because they're still illiterate. But they recognize there's more in the scriptures than just the stories they've heard. So they want to be literate and they want to be able to then have the whole counsel of God in their own language. Well, that's the kind of society that the Thessalonians were. And Paul was speaking them to them uh, specifically about all the things he had taught them uh, when he was in Thessalonica and the contents of the two genuine letters he had written, one of which he, he was writing right at that point. Now, you need to remember, Paul had only uh, been with them for three to four weeks before being run out of town. And we know he only wrote two brief letters to them. But Paul loaded enough truth in these communications for them to believe the truth and to hold steadfastly and firmly to it. And he expects us, God expects us, and Paul exhorts us to stand firm. All right, have any of you ever been in a hurricane? I've been in four, you know. When the wind is blowing 70, 80, 90 plus miles an hour, it wants to blow you away. And the only way you can stand in that is to grasp and hold firmly to something that is permanent, whether it's whatever it is. Anyhow. You grasp onto that and you hold firmly to it. And Paul is saying, stand firm. Don't be blown away by every wind of doctrine, as we read elsewhere in the scripture. The way you stand firm is to hold on to the truth. And this isn't a light handhold. This is tight, tenacious grip so that the truth can't be ripped from your hands. This could be described as a death grip, but I actually think of it as a life grip. Holding fast to the truth is what enables us to truly live to our fullest. So we've seen Paul exhort the Thessalonians to believe the truth, to guard the truth, and now he tells them and us that we must live the truth. So verses 16 and 17 read, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word, watched by others all the time. It's one thing, you know, to have a Christian bumper sticker. Or I've got like some church stickers on the back of my truck and all, but our lives need to reflect the truths that we say we believe in. You know, unbelievers revel in nothing better than a believer whose life is exposed as hypocrisy by not living up to the words of Christ. But, you know, the inverse of that is true, is also true. And that's that believers who live godly, openly, godly lives openly before all, create such an alluring image, such such an image that's so different from everything else that's seen around the world, that others want to know and have that kind of life. The gospel is lived more than it's spoken. And when it's spoken, it must be lived to back it up. And we don't do this alone. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit who gives us courage and strength to grasp the truth. We have other believers who we fellowship with and are, are accountable to who help us and uh, uh, just and as, just as we would help them, we, all, we have a vast array of teachings available to us today by comparison to those Thessalonians. We have any number of versions of Scripture in our English language. I mean, I've already used four versions just in this message. There are over 500 English versions of the Bible. We have access to teachings by many godly men and women through internet, radio, TV, podcasts, whatever. The books we uh, can get our hands on, well, that's that's like almost unlimited. And, uh, you know, if, if God expected that the Thessalonians had enough to stand firm and flourish, then you and I have an abundance to help us keep our walk, help us as we keep walking out our faith day by day by day. But this passage tells us something even better for living out our faith. May our Lord Jesus himself and God the Father encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Imagine, Jesus and God the Father are in our corner. (laughs) They're helping us live our lives so that they'll be full of good acts good works and good words we're beyond excuse we can't say that living out our faith is too hard and we can't do it alone well guess what we don't do it alone god who gave us eternal encouragement and good hope will give us strength and assistance in this life so a couple weeks ago as i was uh preparing this message i got a text from pastor jim and uh, it had two photos on it, a pages out of a commentary on Second Thessalonians by Warren Weersby. I was already moving in the direction of this message, but Pastor Jim came alongside me and helped me with a resource that confirmed my direction and also gave me some good thoughts and words for organizing it. Now, if, if Jim, who he's a great guy, can do this, imagine what the help and encouragement of God looks like for each of us. So here's a brief review of where we've gone today. We're to believe the truth that we are loved, chosen, set apart, called, and given glory by God. Then we're to guard the truth by standing firm and holding fast to the truth. And finally, we're to live out the truth through God the Father's and the Lord Jesus Christ's encouragement and strengthening. So let's consider some next steps. First of all, I have four of them for you, four. First, I will know the truth by reading the scriptures regularly. This may surprise you to hear, but most believers don't read their Bibles more than once in a great while. That's true even among Christian professionals, pastors, missionaries, Bible teachers, and so forth. There are more who leave their Bible on the shelf than who read it daily. That's one of the reasons why the degree of biblical illiteracy is so high and growing uh, in the United States. But there's also empirical evidence that those who read their Bible at least four times a week have a vastly lower risk of divorce if they're married, vastly lower risk of falling into self-destructive habits and sin, so that first step is, is just pretty simple. Read your Bible regularly. There are dozens of Bible reading there are dozens of Bible reading plans, a lot of uh, there are dozens right on you version. And it's all free. Just download the app, choose the plan, and start reading. Uh, second next step, number two, I will hold fast to the truth by memorizing Scripture. You know, this is such a simple thing, and yet very few of us do it. It only takes a few moments a day to memorize God's word, but most of us don't spend those few moments. David wrote, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, if knowing God's word in his heart was good for David, a man who God said is a man after God's own heart, I suspect it's good for us, too. There are some really excellent online scripture memorization programs out there that you can find and use. A former youth pastor from Lake City Church itself uh, developed one called Memlock, M-E-M-L-O-K. And you can download the Memlock app. It's free. M-E-M-L-O-K. M-E-M-L-O-K, Memlock. Uh, You can get it from the App Store. It's free, and it'll actually make memorizing Scripture easier and fun. Those of you who knew that, former youth pastor, know why it's fun. Uh, Third, I will live the truth by having close relationships with those who will hold me accountable for my words and my actions. You know, many people don't have even one or two really super close friends with whom they can just share whatever's on their heart. Their victories, their failures, whatever it is. But we all need someone like that. David had Jonathan. Paul had his son in the faith, Timothy. So who's your person that's closer than a brother and who help you will help you live the truth? And if you don't have that person, start looking around and figuring out who can I get that kind of a relationship with. Finally, fourth, I will believe the truth by accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Now, if, if you're not a believer in, in Jesus Christ, but you've come to the point in your life where you would like to have that same life-changing relationship that the Thessalonians had, then in a moment, I'm gonna pray and I'm going to include in that prayer uh, something that you can pray along with. And my friend, if you're at that step, walk freely into true life. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that as your children, believers in the truth that you've loved and chosen and set us apart for your glory. Help us, Lord, to stand firm in our faith, to know that we, what we believe and why we believe it, and to hold fast to the Scriptures and to be faithful to the teachings that you have preserved for us. Help us to live our faith in a way that draws others to you. And, Father, if there's someone who's hearing this message, either online or in the room here and they need to follow you in faith i pray that they will share in this prayer by telling you that they recognize their need for you and your love and that they'll submit to to you and and ask you for forgiveness and for to make them fit for life as their as your child I pray that they might simply say, I acknowledge my need for you, Jesus, and I ask, Father, that you forgive my sins and I accept this free gift of salvation from you. Father, thank you for Lake City Community Church. Thank you for their faithfulness over decades. Please continue to use them here right in their neighborhood, in Lakewood, and to just the outer stretches of the globe. May they be blessed and be a blessing. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.